You're listening to Ditch the Diet Radio with myself, Rachel Foy, the Food Freedom Coach. This is a podcast for smart, driven, high-achieving women who are sick and tired of their food struggles holding them back from having a life that they really want. So if you're ready to stop the struggle with eating, fighting your body, and ultimately find your own food freedom, then you, my gorgeous, are so in the right place right now. If you love the conversations that we have here on Ditch the Diet Radio, then be sure to check out my website at rachelfoy.com for free workshops, gifts, and much, much more. So are you ready? Here's a brand new episode from Ditch the Diet Radio. Hi everyone and welcome to Ditch the Diet Radio episode 15 with myself Rachel Foy the Food Freedom Coach and today we've got a fabulous guest on our show. He's a nutritionist and somebody who I came across probably about six or seven months ago. Um, This is somebody who is very different to what you would expect most nutritionists to be all about. So this is somebody who's really passionate about his work, he's passionate about food and how it can heal us Um, and he's also passionate about being very body positive and and embracing the bodies that we have. So I'm talking about Chris Sandal from Seven Health and I was very, very fortunate to be on his podcast a little while ago. So I extended the invitation, asked him to come on mine. And as you are about to find out, we had a fabulous conversation all about well, body image and food and what we can start doing to, to bring a bit more balance into our day and into our lives. So I caught up with him it was just before Christmas. It was quite early on in the morning. I think he'd just returned from having been outside walking um and yeah this is uh, this is the interview so make yourself comfortable um and let's see what he's got to say about this topic hope you enjoy so i'm hoping that chris is there are you there this morning chris yes i am hi how are you today i'm very well it's been an early start but uh all good good stuff sometimes early starts are good though right kind of makes you feel a bit motivated for the day yes definitely <laughs> be a bit better though if there was sunshine outside but that's a different story (laughs) anyway (laughs) yes so um before we get stuck into some juicy topics do you want to give everybody a bit of a rundown really as to I suppose who you are and what you're doing out there in the big wide world okay um so my name's Chris Sandal I am uh, a nutritionist so that's how I'd label myself although I probably work in lots of different areas or broader areas than most people would think about when they hear the word nutritionist um, I'm originally from Sydney and moved over to the UK uh, a bit over 13 years ago, 13 and a half years ago. And uh, I've always been someone who has been very, very thin, very lean. I was always like the smallest kid in my in my class um, and just growing up had really not that much interest in food. I was a, probably a bit of a picky eater when I was young, but not for any other reason apart from I just didn't care. I, I wasn't into food. I was just wanting to to run around and, and do other things. Um, and then when I went off to university, I just started eating pretty terrible food, um, lots of McDonald's and KFC and Burger King and kebabs and all that because, as I said, I was always lean. And in my mind, the only connection was between people shouldn't eat this food if they are heavy and they put on weight, which I've I've subsequently changed my opinions along the way but at that stage yeah it was like I don't put on weight so I can really just eat whatever food that I want Um, and so I I finished uh, a business degree at the age of 21 and really had no idea what I wanted to do Um, and so thought I would just do a little bit of traveling for a while so came over to the UK intending to to be here for a year or two, um, do some traveling, figure out what I wanted to do and, and move back to Australia. And I've just never left. Um, <laughs> and when I got over here, I moved in with, with a couple who um, have turned out to be really good friends now. I'm now the, the godfather to one of their daughters and they're basically my, my family over here now. But uh, originally, I moved in with them, and the uh, female in the couple, Lisa, was doing a detox maybe within about five or six weeks of me moving over. Okay. And it was really interesting. So I said that I, I never really put on much weight and I was always lean, but actually the kinds of foods that I was eating were having an impact on me, even though I didn't realize at the time. I had pretty terrible skin, and that had been something that had affected me probably for the last uh, four or five, or no, probably three or four years by by that stage, yeah. and had just 
I'd go to the doctor, they'd put me on antibiotics, it would clear up after three months, and then I'd come off the antibiotics, and my skin would get bad again. Um, and it was just this perpetual going to the doctor, um, going on antibiotics, and it had really gone on for, for a number of years. Um, and so when I came over, my antibiotics had, had finished up, and my skin is, was getting really bad again. And they, uh, Lisa just said, why don't you, you do a detox, change some of your food and see what happens with your skin. And I, I did that and I did it for a four week period and just really noticed some, some real improvements. And one of the big things, uh, I just want to add a caveat here is that I don't recommend people do detoxes normally. Um, the detox that I did was pretty much going on a, a, a vegan diet. There was no restrictions on how much food I could eat. Okay. Um, it wasn't me doing a juice fast or anything along those lines. And the benefit for me actually was afterwards where it meant that I learned to cook certain foods that I didn't cook before. It meant that I really broadened my palate in terms of the fruits and vegetables that I ate. So it was a really beneficial thing that went on after the, the process as opposed to what typically starts to happen is people then become more restrictive with their eating. They get more closed down. They get more fearful of food. It really had the opposite for me. Yeah, and I think uh, like, sorry to interrupt, but like you were saying, right. like your kind of background, which I, I know that I'm familiar with, but the listeners probably might not be, you've not really come into nutrition with having any kind of food issues. So actually for you, that was your first introduction to how food can be used for health, right? Which is really important. Totally. And I'm, I'm super lucky in that I grew up in a household where there wasn't a lot of talk around um, dieting and that maybe because within our household people were leaner. So that was part of it. But there's definitely lots of households where uh, parents are lean that they still go into the dieting. I've got a, a sister and obviously a mother and neither of those. I can I can't ever remember them talking about diets or going on diets when when I was um, a kid in the household. And so, yeah, I, I came into this with no emotional attachment, with no ideas of trying to change my body or anything along those lines. So, yeah, I think I am probably a little bit of an anomaly in <laughs> in that sense. Um, so, yeah, after after doing the, the detox and just starting to notice how different foods would affect me and um, I probably for the next couple of years would, would seesaw between being pretty healthy in inverted commas and doing the things that I thought were healthy at the time um, and noticing that things would get a little better and then times of being like a a 21, 22-year-old who's moved to the other side of the world, not yeah. living with their parents and just enjoying life um, and would notice that things would get a little worse. Um, and so going through that at some point I was like, actually, I'm really interested in this stuff. I'm bringing it up in conversation. I'm reading more about it. And so I decided at that stage that this was what I was searching for in terms of a career and then went back and studied. So I went to the College of Naturopathic Medicine in London and studied there for three years as a nutritionist. And then when I finished up there, set up my my own practice awesome. um, in 2009 and, and started working with clients yeah and now actually along that journey you you've kind of ended up working in this field of being like an anti-diet nutritionist which is kind of how you and I met one another so the yep. the whole ditching the diet concept is so 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 important for you in terms of your practice which I think from my experience you being a nutritionist is actually quite refreshing um yep. because you know your your focus is not about weight loss it's not about eating certain foods from a diet point of view. So can you give us some idea, Chris, how does your message of anti-diet teaching, how does that fit with nutrition? I know that might sound like a strange question, but sometimes for me, I see that as being a bit of a, a contradiction sometimes. Sure. And I think, I mean, I'm still very much interested in nutrition. Um, I mean, I had you on my podcast. I, I have a weekly podcast show and some of it is around like people's emotional connection to food and body image, but a lot of it is also around how physiology works, certain yeah. things within the body, um, explaining how certain foods work, because I am interested in that stuff. And I guess how I see those two fitting together is that I am a realist. And so I can look at the science, I can look at how the body works, I can look at how certain foods work, but I also then need to slot that into someone's real life. 
And there's a big difference between we did this study and there were 300 people and the results of this study show this and that's what everyone needs to do versus, you know what, this is what the study shows. So what that proves or what it demonstrates is statistically speaking, these are the things that are more likely to happen. But let's see what happens when we implement that into someone's life. And I think I have grown and changed my opinion about things mostly from the perspective of I've just worked with a lot of clients now. Yeah. And you get to that stage where you're like, I know this may be what the research shows or what is recommended on paper, but it just doesn't work. And so I have to match up with, okay, what can I be doing from a nutritional perspective? What can I be doing that is going to be enhancing someone, but also being realistic about people having kids, people not being able to get as much sleep as ideally, people might not be able to do as much exercise or movement or whatever. And how can I get the best for that individual as opposed to if we had a magic wand, what would we be doing? Absolutely. And that's so important, right? I think all of us have, and I know I know that you know my story and probably a lot of the listeners do. I think yep. so many people find themselves chasing this elusive, perfect way of eating, perfect way of doing nutrition, perfect way of supplementing. Um, and actually, like you've just clearly highlighted, that's also not realistic. And I think that can set us up to end up feeling like we fail sometimes. Yeah, because the people who actually do really well from a nutritional perspective, if they're really going down that path of being 100% all in, are the people who genuinely want to make that their life. Mm. And most people don't. Most people are like, can you tell me the things that I can do that mean that I can use my health and my nutrition to then have the life that I really want to do and live all of those things outside of food and nutrition. So I'm not saying that someone can't get really spectacular results um, if they want to do that, but majority of people don't and, and they shouldn't be guilted about that or feel bad about that. It's like it's just not their interest. Yeah. Do you think that's very much like the quick fix approach of society as well? Like do something for a couple of months and that's all you need to do? Yeah. And I'm I'm definitely against that whole approach. I'm against the uh, I I know a lot of people talking about the idea of like hacking um, in inverted commas. And while I think there can be benefits in working out, okay, what is the what are the things that give you the better results, or what are the ways that you can possibly speed up this process or focus on the most useful things? I also think it can then be very detrimental because people then have these unrealistic expectations of, but I've been doing this for eight weeks. Why hasn't everything changed? <laughs> yeah. Um, as opposed to, and I'm I'm always when I'm working with clients. I mean, I work with clients for a minimum of of five months. Um, and the point is that over that time, I'm trying to teach them them skills. I'm trying to improve their health, but it's about the long term. It's like, okay, if you want to be doing these things, like what's going to be happening in a year or two years or five years times, getting people to start to think in that kind of a framework as opposed to the 12 week challenge or whatever it may be. Um, because it really is about the long term, because if you change something in 12 weeks, but then six months down the line, you're not doing any of those things, you've gone back to your old way of being, then from a health perspective and a longevity perspective, that's going to make very little difference. Mm. Whereas if you can instill and start to follow things that you're doing in a year and two years and five years, that then makes a huge amount of difference. So my uh, way of working with clients is getting them to make small changes and keep it up as opposed to trying to do everything all at once, which invariably doesn't work for, for nearly everyone. No, absolutely. How does, um, just out of interest, Chris, how does your approach differ if you're working with a client who perhaps has got emotional attachment to food as opposed to somebody who, who arguably hasn't? Like, Do you have to work with them in a different way? Yeah, I do. Um, so it just, it's looking at really with, with the, each individual, like what can I be doing with that person? How quickly can we be going? What are the things that I, I can talk about that are going to be fine? What are the things that if I go through is going to be a lot more triggering? Um, and just working, how can I get someone to make those changes? And what I typically find is the people who do have much more of an emotional attachment and have emotional reaction we just have to do things more slowly. Mm. And it's quite funny. And I, and I will always point that out. So I had a client um, I'm still working with 
and we were about six or seven weeks in or six or seven consults in and she then said to me Lou, you know what? i really want to start to um be including more fruits and vegetables into my diet and i was like i just want to stop you there because if i had said this to you at like consult one or consult two you would have had this really visceral reaction and you were actually quite uh, scared about working with me because of the fact that I was a nutritionist and you didn't want to be lectured about food and now you're at a place where you're actually requesting that and you're wanting to focus on that and so getting people to get to those places on their own and and working through a lot of the stuff so they can get there is is pretty much how I'm then working with someone so it really does depend on who I've got sitting in front of me and what I work on with someone will differ from person to person okay so why would somebody come and see a nutritionist again perhaps a quite stupid question from your side because you are a nutritionist but like I I kind of think like sometimes there's all these amazing practitioners and you know clinicians and people out there that really know their stuff when it comes to like food and health and obviously body image and that kind of thing why would someone choose to come and see a nutritionist so what's your actual focus point when you're working with your clients um it will it will depend um, I mean, I have a couple of main areas and I'm working with someone. Um, I work a lot with fertility. Hmm. So people who have um, lost their periods and wanting to get it back or are having problems with their cycle, whether it be too long or too short, or they're getting lots of symptoms around that stuff. Um, also working with people who are wanting to conceive. Um, I have uh, lots of clients who are then just doing the normal everyday stuff that you would think about in terms of going to see a nutritionist. So it's I've got problems with my digestion or I'm not sleeping so well or I'm having energy slumps or those kind of things. And then it is around um, getting people off the, the dieting train and then emotional eating or, or disordered eating yeah. um, and, and those sort of things. And I guess in, in terms of the question of why would someone come and see me is – I put out a huge amount of content and I write about lots of different topics and I guess from people following me and reading that or listening to the podcast or whatever, they get a sense of, okay, I think he can help me with my particular thing. Yeah. And so I will then have a chat with them and the, the way that I always work with clients is I'll have a chat with them for 40 minutes, 50 minutes for an hour before I, I start with them, before they've signed up, just to make sure that we're going to be a good fit for one another. So I'll find out, okay, what do you have going on? What are you wanting to get help with? And what are you wanting to get out of this experience or uh, out of us working together? And I'll go through that. And by having a chat with them and me talking about, okay, where I think certain things are coming from or why I think certain things are going on, we can then get to the stage of, do we think we're going to be good at working together? Uh, am I able to to help them get out of this, what I want to get out of this? And I'm really blunt with someone. So if they're saying, I want this to happen, I want this to happen in six months, and I want this and this, if I don't think I can deliver or I don't think that that's doable, I am the first to say, I don't think that's doable. Like, yeah. And these are the reasons why I don't think that's doable. Um, but what I can do is these things and um, – and it's then up to them of whether they want to then go ahead with that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that's how people work out what I can help them with and why they would then come to me. And I guess I differentiate myself as a nutritionist because I do speak a lot about uh, disordered eating or emotional eating or the, the, the relationship with food that I don't feel a lot of people talk about. And then also on the other side of that, there's a lot of people who work – purely in that but they then don't have the understanding about uh like physiology and, and food so i can then offer that side as well no definitely which is a really like it's a really powerful combination isn't it because your job isn't to like sit and lecture somebody about food and what they should be doing and what they shouldn't yep. be doing it's like bringing in the physio like you said the physiology as to how the body works how food is used how it's probably like how it's absorbed how it's assimilated and that's so much so much of that information we often aren't fully aware of, particularly when we're fighting food all the time, because we don't see food as being a good thing. It's this thing that's like, oh, I hate it. Yeah. So, yeah, kind of bringing it around. So, yeah, um, and it also means that with that stuff, it's not always then just blamed on someone's emotional state. Yeah. I can be like, no, this is purely a reaction from a physiological perspective because this is what's going on in your stomach or this is going on here or whatever so that there can be that 
other explanations. So it's not always just a mental emotional thing. Which again, I think so many people can relate to, right? <laughs> yeah. Certainly I come from my experience. Um, I found um, one of your blog posts recently that you wrote, Chris, was about how do you think about your food choices? And this was a really interesting blog post that you wrote, obviously based on the fact that you are a nutritionist. Yeah. And probably a lot of your clients, a lot of people listening to you right now probably think, oh, I bet he eats quinoa all the time and he drinks green smoothies every day for his breakfast um yeah can you explain us a little bit about this blog post that you wrote about because it's so interesting sure and so look one of the big things that i want to get across to people is that i am a very normal human being and that all of these nutritionists all these people that are often put up on a pedestal are also very normal in terms of their eating and so as part of the blog post I talked about the fact that um, I woke up and I had some breakfast I can't remember what I had for breakfast that day and then I had to to rush off and I was doing lots of things and then went off to play golf and while I was playing golf realized that I hadn't had any lunch and so for lunch, I had a Mars bars and a Snickers <laughs> or a Twix and a Snickers <laughs> or something along those lines. And yeah. that was my lunch. And I was just talking about the fact that when I had those things, the, the thought process that went through my mind was, okay, this is probably not the greatest lunch for you, not because these foods are bad in inverted commas, but it's probably not going to be enough in terms of calories. You're probably going to need more. And when you get off the golf course, you should go and have something proper to eat, which I did. And it was just looking at the fact that the way that people talk about and think about their food choices is just as important as what they actually eat. Yeah. And that it, it like for a lot of people if that had happened, they would have just imploded in terms of the guilt or the anxiety or the worry about the fact that they made poor food choices or bad food choices. And I was just saying that, you know what, like we're all going to find ourselves in situations where we haven't planned as well as we should have, or we haven't been able to get to, to eat as, um, as best as we, we could in an ideal world. But that's just part and parcel of being a human being. And I just want to get across um, that people often have these really high ideals that they're expecting themselves to live up to, which are totally unrealistic. And the point was like, this is me. I'm someone who is a nutritionist. I do this for a living. And this still happens to me. So you should be not expecting or trying to eat in this way. But when it happens, just really give yourself a break. Yeah, and I think like you said in your in your blog post, and I can relate to this with a lot of my clients as well, it's not just the it's not just the food choice, like you've said, because when we're actually eating something, we're also eating the emotion attached to it, aren't we? So yeah. if we're eating a, a Twix or a you know, a piece of chocolate cake and we're eating it coming from a place of moral judgment, I shouldn't be doing it, it's bad, there's something wrong with this the guilt, the shame, you're actually processing, you're assimilating that emotion on some kind of energetic level. And you know, I know from my experience, when you're eating a bar of chocolate and it's with complete permission and you're okay with it, it tastes so much better than when you're eating it with guilt and shame. Yeah, definitely. And also it means that it um, it is always going to have an impact on what happens at the next meal. Mm. So I would say for the majority of people who are struggling with food, if they'd had what I did for a lunch, the knee-jerk reaction would be, okay, for dinner, I just have to have a salad. I just have to have something like, quote-unquote, healthy. Um, I've had too many calories or whatever it may be. And that then has an impact on the next meal. And if someone then um, really undereats as part of that, then the, the, the further knee-jerk reaction from a physiological perspective further down the line is that there's probably a further pull towards yeah. highly calorific or um, – foods that they more crave because they haven't given their body what it needs. And so there's then this real chain of reaction. Whereas from my perspective, it was like, okay, I didn't eat what I needed at this meal. How can I make that better in terms of, and when I say better at the next meal, genuinely supporting my body, not from a place of fear, not from a place of restriction, but what does my body then need to help me make, make up for whatever deficit or shortfall I had as part of that. And I think that sort of approach of, 
you know, not so much using food in the sense, but actually having that awareness that food it is our friend. Like it's it's something that our body needs to to survive, but not just well, it's not just survival, is it? It's more than that. It's to actually enrich our lives and to help us feel good and to give us energy and vitality. And yeah, food choice is obviously important, but like you yeah. said, it's it's not important to have any kind of moral attachment to the way that we choose to eat sometimes acceptance is also a big part of ending that cycle yeah and i think by getting to that place of acceptance you can get to a place of awareness and this is what i'm working on with all of my clients um it's getting people to drop the ideas around what is good and bad foods in inverted commas and working out what genuinely works for them or what doesn't work for them and so when they eat something that's um, good and supporting for the body in terms of it gives them good energy or it helps them sleep or whatever, and then they should eat more of that food regardless of what it is. So if someone eats a pizza and that's the reaction that they get, they should eat pizza. Yeah. And it might not happen every time or it might not happen if they're eating it every day. But, yeah, breaking away from these um, set-in-stone ideas about what is good and bad and getting people to be much more self-aware of what actually works for their body yeah exactly and actually pay like you said paying attention opening up that communication and, and getting feedback from yourself like how do you feel after you've eaten it which i think so many of us get into a habit of not doing we just get on with life and we don't really pay attention too much yeah um there was something else that i wanted to have a chat with you whilst i've got you here because this is a yeah. topic that um it fascinates me. It's still taken me a little while for me to sort of figure out where do I stand with this whole debate or argument. But I want to ask you, when it comes to you being a nutritionist, and I'm assuming that quite a lot of your clients may come to you because they're in a place right now where their health isn't where they want it to be. Maybe they are struggling with their perceptions of like weight issues. So they might be carrying excess weight. Yeah, weight has been this like moral issue and I know that this is a massive topic that we could probably spend all week talking about but yeah. where where do you kind of stand with this argument Chris like do you think weight is something that as a society we do need to be addressing or we do need to be focusing on in the sense of it's potentially bad for our health or do you stand on the other side where a lot of campaigners right now like health at every size are saying health isn't important sorry weight isn't important Health is something to do with habits and our behaviors, but regardless of what our body size is, that's not actually the issue. It's more to do with the other stuff. Where do you stand with the whole of this? Okay, so this is a, a huge question. I know. <laughs> um, and um, I, I will try and, and answer it as best I can. What I would say is I don't really stand in any one camp, and I would say there is a lot more gray to this than people make out in terms of creating false dichotomies or talking in absolute terms. So in a general sense, um, I think that weight has much less of an impact on someone's health than the majority of people make out for it to be. Yeah, I'd agree. And that for the, for, for the vast majority of people, focusing on weight makes really little difference because where they should be focusing in on is their habits. And so you can have someone who is at a higher weight who then starts to eat more fruits and vegetables, who starts to do more exercise, who starts to have better sleep or improve their relationships, all of these things. Yeah. And they can make huge improvements in their health yeah. without their weight changing. And from a statistical perspective, you can have someone who is at a much higher weight who is then in a very similar range to someone who is leaner who is keeping up those same habits. So if you look at the statistical outcomes of certain diseases, et cetera, they're fairly basically the same as their, their slimmer counterparts. Yeah. What I would say is as you get further and further away and you get higher and higher or lower and lower – this is where it can start to make more of an impact. So a lot of the time people talk about within, say, the health at every size community, um, that weight in of itself has no impact. And I would disagree with saying it has no impact. I just think it has less of an impact than most people make out. Or when it starts to make an impact, it's at a much higher level. Yeah. 
So as an example, or, or, or at a much lower level. So for, for example, you can have someone who has become very, very, very lean. And because they become very lean, they've now lost their period. Their body fat has dropped to a percentage that has meant that their, their cycle has basically turned off. Mm-hmm. And you can then have that person try and or, or make changes where they're now eating in a particular way. They're eating more food. They're eating in a way that supports their body better. They're making other changes. And what will often happen is it's not until their BMI hits a decisive point, normally somewhere around 21, 22, 23, somewhere in that ballpark, that they will then get their period back. And so Yes, it is about the habits, but it's also about them then crossing a particular threshold in terms of their BMI. And so that weight and that extra weight in that situation then is becomes helpful. And it, it is, in a, in a sense, the weight in of itself making that transition. Yeah. And you then have the same thing when you get someone who is much heavier. And I would say when you look at it from a statistical perspective, it's really only after about BMI of 31, 32, that it starts to make much of a difference. And so BMI of 31, 32, we're talking about like the lower end of obesity. So it's not until you get into that place. And so it means people can be obese and still be relatively healthy or sorry still be healthy um, from a statistical perspective and as you then get higher and higher outside of that it becomes more likely that the weight in of itself is going to um, impact on someone's health but the thing I want to add with this is that even if that is necessarily true it doesn't change the fact if someone can or can't lose that weight So the same way as you can be um, of Afro-Caribbean background, and because you are Afro-Caribbean background, you are more likely to have, uh, from a statistical perspective, um, say, insulin resistance, or there might be some disease that you are more likely to get. Mm -hmm. Just knowing that doesn't necessarily mean you can change anything. And the same with someone who is heavier. Yes, from a statistical standpoint, that weight in of itself might be making more of a uh, or creating more of a problem. It doesn't necessarily mean that person can then change that. And so what I want to focus on when I'm working with people is what are the things that they do have control over and what are the things that they don't? And we don't have ultimate control over our weight, at least over the, the long term. And what we do have control over is we can take our bed ourselves to bed earlier we can eat more fruits and vegetables we can spend more time outside getting more sunlight we can do more movement etc so there's this whole long list of things that people can be doing that can improve their health regardless of what happens with their weight and that's where i want to focus with people because that's the stuff that makes a really big difference and what i see happening when people focus on the weight is that they do things that then negatively impact on all of those others so they get to a stage where they're eating less and eating so little that they're not actually sleeping so well or they then become obsessed with dieting so they don't have as good relationships they're not as sociable and so you're doing all of these things that are supposedly trying to make you healthier by losing weight but actually you're losing out because of other things that it's impacting on yeah, and I think yeah. that's that's a really important point to mention there because I think, again, from, from my personal experience and that with some of the clients that I've worked with, if we just focus on weight as being the thing that we think we have to change in order for everything to suddenly get better, we're kind of missing the whole point because, yeah. you know, by focusing or actually become obsessed about weight as as I did with myself – And as you've just clearly highlighted, it impacts everything. It impacts sleep. I had anxiety because of it. I used to get panic attacks. I didn't go out. I had no social life. Um, And even though I was trying to address my weight because I felt like that was an issue, and I know that some people may be listening right now think that their weight is their main issue and it needs to come down, sometimes we need to take our attention off the weight as being the problem and actually focus on the habits like you've just said because our health is not just our physical health either, is it? It's also our mental health and our emotional health and our spiritual health. I mean, they, they've got to come up there somewhere on the priority list as well. Yeah. And there's two things I want to add with this is that part of the big problem I see around weight is that 
the way that we talk about it. So there's so many things that we champion in our society in terms of people working really long hours, people not sleeping, people doing extreme sports that are terrible for our health, but we don't care because as a society, we think they are really good things. But as a society, we think that being overweight is a is a bad thing and we focus on that with much more venom. Mm. And I think that's a really big problem because it's like there's certain things that are terrible for health, but it's fine. You can get away with that and we're not going to talk disparagingly about them. But there's this one thing, weight, that we will really focus on. And so I think that a lot of the time when people talk about weight, it's not really about health because if they were really concerned about health, they'd be talking about all of these other things that they just give a uh, a green path to and just don't even don't even think about. No, absolutely. I mean, society very much is you know the whole fat shaming. It's real, you know, and, and as you just said, you know, sometimes we are very quick as a society to to make a judgment call on someone based on their physical appearance. Oh, they're not healthy. You know, they need to lose weight, um, and the medical profession do it all the time. <laughs> yeah. Totally. And then the the second part of that is as well, is that um, a lot of the time, I know people talk about weight as being this very simple calories in, calories out thing, and it's by no means that simple at all. But one of the biggest drivers that are going to make it more likely that someone is going to put on weight or be at a higher weight is things like stress, lack of autonomy, lack of control in their life, like lots of things that have absolutely nothing to do with food. And the more people can then be focusing on having an enjoyable life, um, having purpose, having passion, um, the more that like even if the weight doesn't come off, the better their health is going to be. And that's the thing where I think people should be starting to focus on as opposed to just this myopic focus on I need to get the number on the scale down because the majority of time when people do that, it like A, doesn't work long term, but B, it doesn't actually improve their health. What would you what would you say to someone listening to this right now? And I'm asking you this because I've actually got a client, bizarrely, at the moment that's got this issue. What What would you recommend if somebody has got, say, a BMI that's fairly on the high side and they're being told by their doctors that they have to lose like two stone in weight because it's it's for health reasons. What 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 would somebody do in that situation? Because I'm I'm in agreement with you. I don't think that weight is the be all and end all in terms of our actual health. I think there's so many more components to it. But obviously the medical profession often can be very weight fixated and weight focused and you know it is obviously based on statistics. But what would you recommend somebody that might be in that position right now? How can you approach this? Any idea? Right. Yeah, sure. So the way that I always talk about that with someone is like, okay, cool. How have your weight loss efforts been in the past? Like if it's so easy for you to lose that weight, like why are we having this conversation? Why are you working with me? Exactly. Or like why, why do, Like, if it's just that easy, just go and do it. And the majority of people are like, well, actually – throughout my life I've done this many diets this year and this many diets last year and like it's just not that easy for me to be able to do that so what I then do is say okay cool let's forget about the weight for now and maybe forget about the weight forever but let's just start with that for now and let's look at what are the other symptoms that you have going on what are the other problems apart from the weight that you were dealing with. Okay, so you've got problems with your sleep, you've got problems with your your energy, you've got problems with your menstrual cycle, you've got problems with cravings, etc. Okay, let's do the things that deal with that. And if it leads to weight loss, great. If it doesn't, great as well. But let's focus on those things. And what I typically find is we then work through this stuff and their health improves, their mental uh, emotional life improves, like their outlook improves, etc. And so I can get them to a place where like, you know, like we've genuinely improved your health and your weight hasn't really changed that much or it has changed a little bit, but it's more about the habits you're keeping up and, and how you're thinking about food and your body and all of those things. And so really just starting to demonstrate to someone that maybe that weight isn't so important or even if it is a little bit important, we've been able to make massive changes by focusing on all of these other things. Mm. And that's typically how I, I work on it with someone. Because when they first come and see me, one of the things that I say is that I make no guarantees about what will happen with their weight. So I can't guarantee they're going to lose weight. Um, I don't know if they're going to 
um, stay the same. I don't know if they're going to put on some. I don't know if it's going to, if they're going to lose it. But I'm really upfront about that um, because I want to be able to focus on the things that are genuinely going to improve someone's health as opposed to having to just constantly focus on weight. Do you find as well, Chris, that when you're obviously coming from that approach as well, so you're 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 kind of tackling and addressing far more well, far more important things really than just the weight. It's about, like you said, sleep, energy, how they feel, etc. Do you feel like a lot of the time that that naturally starts to impact how that individual would feel about themselves from like a body confidence point of view? Totally. Because it's amazing how much time people spend obsessing and worrying and thinking about food. Mm. And by doing all of these things, even though in a bizarre way, it can often feel like they're thinking about it more to start with because there's a bit more planning or a bit more structure or whatever with time that just becomes uh on autopilot and so outside of their meals they're not thinking about it and so they just get so much more of their headspace back to focus on other things and they're not constantly on this um um like merry-go-round of like trying to lose weight it coming off it going back on and, and just being in this perpetual state of focusing on weight all the time so yeah I find that it makes a a really big difference and I think that's um you know again anyone listening to this right now I know that quite often we do become so fixated that we truly believe or we've attached a belief to well if I'm 10 pound lighter or two dress sizes smaller I would feel better and I'd feel more happy and I'd start to do this and I'd start to do that but as you've just said that's not always the case like our weight possibly won't change when we start to tackle our behaviours and some of the other things that are actually far more important in terms of the bigger picture, but we can still end up still feeling confident and more empowered and more, you know, more full of energy, which is the whole point as to why we're here. (laughs) Yeah, and I think what I find is for a lot of clients, they have been at a lighter weight and when they're being really honest, it didn't make huge changes in terms of their confidence or the how they felt. Um, and look, there are exceptions to this. There are people who are like, no, I did genuinely feel a lot better at that and we can then explore it. But most of the time people are like, well, I was at that lighter weight, but actually in retrospect, I was having to work out all the time. I wasn't enjoying that exercise. I was constantly fixated on food. And so it meant that I was seeing friends less or when I'd see friends, I wouldn't be so present. And so when they start to be really honest about the situation, it's like, okay, it didn't really make that much of a difference. And that's what I'm trying to get across when working with these people um, and, and people in general when I'm talking about this topic is that we believe it's going to be easier to either love ourselves or feel confident when we're at a a smaller size, Mm. but that doesn't necessarily translate. And for most people, um, their underconfidence um, or not feeling comfortable within their body isn't really about the aesthetics. Like no matter what changes they make, no matter what, how thin they they get or how lean they get or ripped or whatever the desired outcome is, there is still, but I want more, but I want more. And it's this very hollow victory where people then just feel like they're they're hanging on by a thread and just waiting for it all to, to unravel. No, totally. I can totally relate to that. I'm, uh, I'm curious. I want to ask you, and I don't even know if you've got an answer for this, but I'm going to ask you regardless. Yep. Why, why do you think that weight is such a moral issue? Because you mentioned there about sleep and, you know, people smoke, people drink too much, people have toxic relationships, yet we don't really judge them to the same way that we judge someone who perceivably is overweight. What's your take on it? Where do you, where do you think that moral judgment comes from? Um, so probably going, and th- this isn't my area of expertise, but I think probably looking at um, – women and women's bodies and women's role in society and where that has been historically um and also where um women have taken their power from so it's like no matter how high up someone gets it's all about is she is she pretty how does she look um i think as a society we place a lot of value on um on youth and the appearance of youth. And so I think that can be intertwined with it as well. Um, It's also probably linking into whatever is the most difficult and unattainable is what we go after. So if you go back a couple of hundred years where it was almost impossible for people to be overweight, there was a real big 
preference for people who were bigger because it would then demonstrate a level of wealth or a, an ability to do something that majority of people couldn't do. Mm-hmm. And at some point that then started to to switch and it was then about being um, thin as opposed to being overweight um, and there's definitely a level of class um, that comes into that. So a lot of the people, majority of people who are thinner these days are of a higher socioeconomic class, have more control in their lives, have better access to lots of things. And so, yeah, it's a real big um, big issue with lots of different reasons for why this has, this has come about. Yeah, and it's a big topic, isn't it? It's, um, it's a very, I think it's such a deeply ingrained issue that is so prevalent in society nowadays. And I'm, you know, I'm hopeful that it will change one day. I don't know whether it will be within my lifetime. It would be amazing if it would happen. Um, but I think, like you said, I think the more people like, like you, like, like me, you know, the people that are trying to, I suppose, just open people's eyes to the fact that weight doesn't need to be this moral topic it's just the fact that you're choosing to see it that way hopefully yep. that can have some kind of ripple effect in in terms of the bigger picture yeah it is and it, it look it is very difficult for a lot of people to then get their head around or to then rebel against that um but of the people who i know who have done that um the the outcome and their their life just gets so much better yeah absolutely all that freedom right it's not just freedom yeah. from food it's freedom from everything Definitely. Totally. Um, before we finish, because we're coming towards the end already, and I could talk to you about this for, for such a long time. It's a topic <laughs> of fascination for both you and I. I know that. Um, yeah. But before we finish, for anybody listening to this right now, Chris, that probably, you know, with the, with the podcast called Ditch the Diet Radio, probably struggling with food in some capacity, whether it's restriction, whether it's overeating, binging, emotional eating, anything in between – from your experience what would be your biggest piece of advice for somebody listening right now like what would you like them to know um gosh i would say that's a difficult one just because i think for, for certain people it's going to be different things but as i alluded to earlier on i i really believe that self-awareness is a very undervalued um attribute in mm-hmm. society and knowing like what triggers you, what um, uh, your your own thought processes, your feelings and emotions around food, being aware of of how all those things things play out, um, and also just self awareness in getting away from the absolutes around food or exercise or whatever, and realizing what genuinely works uh, for your for your body and for your life um, and like doing all of that in a realistic way. So not living in some fantasy land about, oh, it, it would be amazing if I could do all of these different things of like, okay, let's be realistic about what is going on in my life. What are the things that are really important for me and what does that allow me to be able to do? And so, yeah, just I think self-awareness would be the the, the big thing. Yeah, and I suppose letting people know that you can always train, change your story with food, right? It doesn't always have to be this way. Definitely. Um, and I've seen huge amounts of changes with, with people um, by just starting to, yeah, look at where certain things are coming from by starting to play around with the way that they eat. And when I say play around with it, getting away from the, the beliefs and be like, let's see what happens when I have this food. Let's see what happens when I start to eat in this certain way and not like buying into something um, where it has to be the way. And that's the, the big thing I do find about diets and diet books is each one tells you that this is the the perfect way to be doing things and all the other ways are wrong and, and uses like science in inverted commas to support whatever they are saying um, and really getting people to to not have to buy into one way of being and just be happy to try out and work out what works for them yeah totally sort of experimenting almost stepping back from your your stuff and just approaching it with observation and curiosity yeah which i would have to say for that to truly work people have to start to move away from the weight fixation because otherwise that's always going to cloud your judgments around what do i feel like eating what do i feel better on because if it's a food that 
or a, a style that you then think, oh, God, this is going to make me put on weight, people are never going to be able to fully embrace that stuff. So I think those two things have to happen side by side, and it's not going to happen overnight. It will be a process as part of stepping away from that, but it, it really does have to happen. Oh, definitely. Um, Chris, can you direct us to your website, podcast, etc.? Where can everybody find a bit more about you and your amazing work out there? Sure. So my website is seven, so spelt out S-E-V-E-N hyphen health.com. Um, and on there it has um, all my, my blog posts and it links there onto my podcast. And my podcast is called Real Health Radio. And you can find that either on my site. You can also find it in iTunes and Stitcher or however you, you listen to to podcasts. Um, I have a Facebook page, which is seven, the number health um, and they're the the main ones that I would direct people to. I'm pretty terrible with with Instagram <laughs> and Twitter and and the rest of social media. Um, but uh, my Facebook page and then my website are uh, where people should go because I do put out a lot of content. That's awesome, and your content is really good. So anyone listening, no, Chris has got some amazing um, blog posts over there on his website. His podcast is awesome. I would say that because I was recently a guest. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. But there's always some amazing information, and for anybody that's wishing to work with you you do one-to-one um coaching don't you yeah i do at the moment so i do two intakes of clients uh a year and so at the moment i'm i don't know when this is going to be released but currently i um, am close to taking on new clients but i have a waiting list and then i will open up to new clients again sometime in the in the about the mid-january time fantastic so maybe that's something that you guys could maybe think about as a yeah investing in your freedom i think we could all do with a bit of that sometimes yeah thank you very much chris for um spending the last well almost an hour with us um i'll let you get on with whatever you're doing today but thank you very much it was lovely to talk to you and all your details are below this podcast for anybody that's listening okay thank you perfect well thank you so much for having me on the show it was a a pleasure chatting with you you're very welcome we'll catch up soon anyway okay see you later Bye. bye Thanks for listening to Ditch the Diet Radio, everyone, with your host, Rachel Foy. That's me. If you've got ever any questions, then you can email me at info at rachelfoy.com. Be sure to check out the website, rachelfoy.com, for your free gifts and other bits and pieces. And if you would like to leave a review or subscribe to the podcast, then please do so. I am trying my absolute best right now to get the most amazing, incredible and inspirational people on the podcast show. And if there's anyone that you would really like me to interview, then drop me a message and I will see what I can do. Have an awesome day and remember that you can have a life where food doesn't control you. I can't wait to show you how. Bye.